Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. If you're new or visiting a Metro Presbyterian church, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is talking about the values and the character of the kingdom, of his kingdom. Whenever uh, an administration departs or leaves, and it's replaced by another administration, that administration, the new administration comes in and brings with it its own people, its own values, its own policies. You see that in any administration, any change. And Jesus is saying here that his kingdom has come, meaning that his administration is now rolling in. And as it comes in, his policies, his values, that's what he's teaching about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now today, we live in a written culture. It's not an oral culture. Um, As a result, most of our promises, most of our oaths, our contracts today are through the signing of documents. In Jesus' time, it was an oral culture. It was a much different culture. So public oral promises or contracts or oaths were much more prevalent, and at the same time, yet at the same time, the principles were the same. What is it? What is a contract? What is an oath? What is this promised? promise? A promise, such as an oath or a contract, was an observed word meaning that it was made in the presence of witnesses. In fact, any contract that you sign today is done in the presence of witnesses. And as a result, you are held accountable to these things. And Jesus is giving us here a radical principle of integrity, what it means to have integrity. He starts out, he says, you have heard it was said. And when he, when he says that, what he's saying is he's critiquing the, uh, the prevalent interpretation of the law at that time. There is nowhere in the law that ever talked about promises like this, You know, so he's not critiquing the law itself, but the way people interpreted the law back then, the religious leaders. And he says, you've heard it says, basically, do not swear. And at first, it looks like what Jesus is saying is this, don't make public promises. Don't make promises. But we know that's not true. That can't be true because Jesus himself made lots of promises. The apostle Paul took oaths. God himself in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 15, for instance, instance, takes an oath to Abraham. And when he says, when he takes these oaths, what he's saying is, I'm holding myself accountable to you. I'm swearing on myself. You know, far be it from me to ever break this promise. In fact, if you look at the Bible, the entire Bible is built on a series of promises and covenants, things that were made publicly for for God's people. These were observed words. These were witnessed words, witness accounts. And God himself holding himself to accountability. What does it mean? What is Jesus saying here? He can't possibly mean that we can't take oaths. But what he's saying is, if you think you could separate one type of promise from another type of contract or oath, that there are higher contracts and lower contracts, lower promises, he's saying you're wrong. That there are different levels of truthfulness. He's saying, you know, if you swear by heaven, that's God's throne. You swear by the earth, that's God's footstool. If you swear by Jerusalem, that's God's city. In other words, 
Don't you realize that God is everywhere? Don't you realize that God owns everything? He is present in everything, every promise, every word, every uttered word. Here's a question. Would life make a difference in how you spoke if you knew that you were observed everywhere? You completely observed because you're being watched by the only eyes that matter. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't get away from God. It's his city. It's his heaven. It's his earth. God is present everywhere. That's why Jesus is saying that. You're before the face of God, and by being before the face of God and his appraisal of you, that means his opinion of you, his values, his sight, they're the only ones that matter. And as a result, every yes has to be a yes. And every no has to be a no. It's an oath. From the simplest word to the grandest word, it's all an oath. Now, Jesus is not saying that there are different, um, that there are degrees of commitment. You know, for instance, I'll give you an example. If I'm on my way out the door and I say, you know, let's meet up sometime. I'm sure I've said that to many of you. Let's meet up sometime. And you're waiting weeks to meet up with me. You know, that's my sin. That's a preacher's sin. That's a pastor's sin. You know, the reason why is because all preachers, you know, all pe- at, least, uh, at least myself, I can speak for myself, we're people pleasers. You know, and so we always promise more than we can execute. And according to Jesus, that's a serious thing. Every yes, every no counts because it's all observed. It's all before witnesses. But it's probably not the end of the world. On the other hand, If you say to your wife on your wedding day, I will be faithful to you forever, till death do us part. I will not be with other women. I will not sleep with other women. I will not break that vow. And you break that vow, that's a much higher degree of commitment. Jesus isn't saying that there aren't different degrees, but what he's talking about here is that everything is observed. Every word. Every word is observed. And so we're going to talk about promises. We're going to talk about integrity today. Three things. Why it's important to have it. What is it? What does it mean to have integrity? How do you get it? Why it's important. What is it? How do you get it? First, Jesus is talking about why it's important to have integrity. Every yes, every no, it has to be measured as if it's a written, signed contract. Everything's observed. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I want everything that you say to be true. You know, how serious is it? Look at where this text, if you have a Bible, you know, it's not printed in the word, it's uh, in, your, in your bulletin, but if you have your Bible, look at where this text resides in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about murder. He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. You know, it's sandwiched between that. He talks about violence. It's sandwiched in between very, very, you know, you look at something like murder. You look at something like adultery, you know it's a serious thing. Something like lying tends to fly underneath the radar. But look at where Jesus places this lesson, this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying it's that serious. He puts that much of a value on there. You know, so, you know, he, he treats integrity and lies with that kind of severity. Now, some of us work and we live in environments in which, you know, things like half-truths and lies and, 
you know, misrepresentations of the truth, they're very, very common, if not a reality. It's a part of your life. You're almost, you know, some of us are almost proud of the fact that we can get away with the things that we get away with. You know, a phrase that I learned when I was a child, the devil has a way of turning things up very, very slowly in our lives, like a frog in a kettle. You ever hear that proverbial, you know, story or, or illustration? You take a pot of boiling water and you throw a frog into it, the frog jumps out because it's so hot. But the way to kill a frog is to put him in a kettle, in a cold water kettle, uh, fill it up with cold water, and you turn the heat up degree by degree because over time what happens? The frog doesn't even know that it's cooked. It's dead. You see, um, you start out, I have have a friend back in uh, my consulting days years ago, 15 years ago, and uh, a friend, kind of a mentor of mine, one of the first things he said to me was, you know, on one of our business trips, he said, you know, there's nothing more important than family. Nothing more important than family. He takes his children, when he comes home from work, you know, on a Thursday night, from that point on, he says the entire weekend is devoted to his family. You know, he takes his children to WrestleMania. You know, he takes his wife out on dinners. You know, he spends a tremendous amount of time with his wife. He, he plans elaborate vacations for his children. You know, he says, balance is so important in a family. And one day, you know, you start to see him making promises of dates, delivery dates that we can't meet. Another day, you know, he's delivering very poor quality work. And then another day, he's cheating on his wife. He's like that frog in a kettle. You know, it starts out with small promises, bit by bit, piece by piece. You know, one day falsifying your work quality, another day falsifying delivery day quality. Next thing you know, it's an affair. Bit by bit, little by little, like a frog in a kettle, degree by degree, the heat gets turned up until you don't realize you're cooked. Jesus says you have to understand that the battle for truthfulness and integrity is fought in every little yes, in every little no. It's not like adultery. I mean... You know, adultery is fought in moments of crisis. You know when you're tempted to commit adultery. But lies, it's almost instinctive to our nature. Bit by bit, piece by piece, it's almost instinctive, you know, when lies happen. And that's why Jesus says we have to be very, very careful of its severity. The reason why integrity is so important, you know, being true to your word, being true to yourself, living consistently with what you've said, First of all, it's the only way that we know we're human. Lewis Smedes, Dr. Lewis Smedes, he's a famous theologian, um, and he's written a lot of books about forgiveness and promises. And he says this. He says, if you want freedom with respect to your past, you have to learn to forgive. Because if you don't learn to forgive, then you're going to be controlled by your past. You're going to be ruled by your past. You're almost programmed to react in certain ways. And as a result, that's a lot like animals. Animals are instinctive by nature. They're almost like machines. They're programmed to live and respond and react towards certain stimuli. And so if you don't forgive like the Bible says, if you don't forgive like the way Christ gives us power to forgive, then you're not going to be very, very human. You're more like an animal. Your design is broken, so you're, and, and that design, that broken design starts to work itself out to, to, to the point where it becomes very, very visible, and you're not free, and you're in chains. But in the same way, he says, making promises, making commitments, being true, being true to yourself and true to other people, being reliable, being dependable, following through, it's the only way that you can have true freedom in the face of an unpredictable future. That's Lewis Smeets. 
you know, you have to make promises. You have to have a creed. That's what he's saying. You have to be committed to things. The modern world doesn't see it that way. The modern world says, if I'm going to be true to myself, if I'm going to be a happy human being, I have to be free from obligation. I have to be free from my promises. In today's world, there's no such thing as employer loyalty. There's no such thing as employee loyalty. There's no such thing as spousal loyalty. There's no such thing as even being friends, a, a true friend to your brother. Why? Because the belief, you know, if you really want to be human, if you really want to be free, you have to stay away. You have to be uncommitted. So, you know, you don't make marriage commitments these days. People just live together. You know, you don't join a church. That's too committal. You don't tithe to a church. That's too committal. You just attend. You don't make commitments. You just be friends. Because you can always walk away if the opportunity, you know, pushes you to do that. You know, I have a friend who used to say, you're only as faithful. Man is only as faithful as his opportunity allows. Now listen to this. Integrity is the only way you can have identity in life. True identity. To have faith in something. You know, to make a commitment, to follow through, to keep it no matter how you feel. That's the essence of being, you know, who you are. How do you know who you really are? How do you know, you know, who you are beyond how you feel? You make commitments. As a Christian, you get baptized. When you get baptized, what you're saying is, I am committed to the Christian faith. As a husband, you get married. When you get married, you're saying, I'm committed in this life with this person. As a minister, you get ordained. When you get ordained, you're saying, I, can know, I am not going to walk away from this creed, not only that I believe, but this calling that I have, have signed my life away to. Those confessions that we read, we're saying, this is what I believe. These, this is what I'm committed to, this life. Now, sometimes we don't want to believe it. Sometimes I don't want to believe it. Sometimes I don't want to commit to it. Sometimes I don't want to follow through. But who am I if I don't stick stick to my promises? Who am I if I don't make promises? I'm nobody. I'd never know who I am. It's all about identity. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, and you don't live out what you believe, who are you? If you're married, but you don't uphold your marital commitment, who are you? You know, if you sign a contract to say, I'm going to work here, you know, and you do everything to avoid, and you're always looking around for something else. Who are you? Who really are you? You know, if you're married and you're just going to carouse around and sleep around, who are you? If you're a father or a mother, you know, and you don't want to lead your home, you don't care for your child, then who are you? Who really are you? Put it this way, you know, you can say, self-fulfillment comes before truth or truth. Reality, real reality comes before self-fulfillment. What Jesus is saying is this. If you put truth before, before your fulfillment, you're going to have both truth and fulfillment in your life. You're going to have integrity and fulfillment. But if you put fulfillment first, you're going to have neither. That's what he's saying. It's not only necessary to make us human, you know, it's necessary to treat one another human. It's, necessary, you know, it's not only important to know who you are, it's important to know then because I know who I am, I know who the people are around me. Imagine a society where every political leader is expect, you know, every political leader is expected by their people to lie. We live in that kind of society, don't we? 
Imagine a society or a corporation where a business leader is expected to not honor his contracts. Imagine a society where, in marital commitment, you're expected to cheat on your spouse. Imagine uh, an academic society where you know all the professors are known to be frauds, and every preacher in our world today is known to be a shyster. You can't have that kind of. You can't have a society in that kind of society. Society will break down. You're not going to be able to have finance in that kind of society. You're not going to be able to have academy in that kind of society. You're going to have nothing. Society would cease. And believe it or not, throughout history, you know, societies like that existed. I took a class during my grad school days with respect to societies like that. Uh, the French Revolution. You had Napoleon. He banned all cafes. Why? Because in cafes, that's where people dialogued. That's where contracts were signed. He banned all that. In Stalin's Soviet Union, he made sure that a person was able to divorce his husband or wife by putting a, an index card, sign away, and say, "I divorce you," and sign your just put it on the side of your bed. You were considered divorced because in all those societies, they knew that if you atomized society, if you kept everybody separate, separate, it would lead to an eventual breakdown of society at large. Much easier to control when there's breakdown and chaos. That's what they believed. And now, if you look at the surveys. If you look at your personal experience, we know today, in our country, that we're lying more today. It's become easier to lie more today than ever before. We don't trust each other. We live in a society where people don't trust each other. Society is more fragmented today between races, between cultures, between language groups than ever before. In God's city, in, before His eyes, He sees. Our sins will find us out. That's what He's saying. Jesus says, "Every little yes, every little no." Is your yes really a yes? Is your no really a no? Are you consistent? You know, in every way. You know, a lot of times we tend to lie, even the small lies, to be polite. We tend to lie to be kind sometimes to one another. You know, this person can't handle the truth. I don't want to be involved with having to tell the real truth to this person, even in the most polite ways. What are you doing? You're enabling distrust. You're letting distrust enter a circle. You're destroying community. You're you're paying, playing a part, contributing to the destruction of the society around you. You're isolating yourself in the smallest ways, degree by degree. You're losing yourself. Jesus, by asking and telling us the severity of this, is asking us, "Who who are you? What is your identity?" That's the first thing. That's why it's important. Now, secondly, he's telling us what it is. The word integrity. Comes from the root word integer. What does that mean? Math majors, you know, Asians, <laughs> you know. I don't. I don't know. Uh, what does it? What does it mean? What is an integer? It means to be whole, not fractioned. It means to be whole, not fractional or fragmented. There are many ways to lie. There are many, many ways to lie. It's not just about not telling the truth. It's about not saying the right thing at the right time. We're not saying anything; just staying quiet at the right time. You're living a lie. It's telling the truth in a way that you know they're not going to believe you. If I say it this way, they're not going to believe me. You know, but so I'm telling the truth, but they're not going to believe me. So it's okay. I'm safe. A person of integrity is what he is whole. He is whole. He is complete. He is integrated. What he thinks, what he believes, what he says, what he does—it's all the same. How he feels, what he thinks, what he says, what he does. Integrity is when someone says one thing, you know, and does that thing. To lack integrity is to say something and to do something else. You know, when I say I'm going to call you this week, I do it. 
When I say I'm going to be faithful to you, I'll be faithful. Integrity doesn't say one thing and even think another thing. You know, I love to come, but I'm going to be out of town when you don't really love to come, <laughs> you know? You, may, you know, that's, that's, that's integrity. You know, when everything's integrated, everything's simple. You know, there are companies, there's one particular company in our country that believes in just integrating hardware and software and middleware all in one so that everything is one integrated unit, you know? And that makes it simple. Even their website is simple, friendly. You know, to be integrated is to be simple. You know, when you're not whole, when you're fragmented, when you're in pieces, you know, when you're not simple, you are duplicit. It starts making life complicated and complex. Integrity is, you know, doesn't say one thing here and then another thing over there. It doesn't say, you know, I'm fine on one side, but then on the inside you're not fine. That's not integrity. You know, Steve Jobs the founder of Apple, Apple, you know, do I even need to say that? You know, uh, one of the things he says is that when he was growing up, <clears throat> he, he believed in the, you know, people ask him, where do you find, where do you get this notion of having integrity in all of your work? He puts so much effort into the quality of the work, the product. And he says, you know, when, um, when I was a child, when he was a child, I'm just paraphrasing what he said, and there's a little bit of that, I think, in the front part of your bulletin, in the reflection quotes, but he basically said that growing up, his father used to make cabinets. And um, in cabinet making, his father used to use the best parts of the wood, for even the back part of the cabinet that gets attached to the wall that nobody ever sees. And he had never understood that. Why would you invest money in a part, that, a part of the cabinet that nobody would ever see? And his father would say, because I see, because I know. I can't sleep with myself at night until I know that everything that I've put into that cabinet is right. It's made with the best stuff. To, be in, to have integrity is to commit to the quality from the inside all the way out. You know, when we first started this church, we said that we wanted Metro to be a church that is going to face its congregation inside out. Inside out. You know, tremendous emphasis on character in what we say, in what we do. That's why we start with our values. That's why when we invited you to our church, we wanted to invite you to our values first, our values, because we play out our values inside out. Now, you know, integrity means that what you say, what you do, when people are looking at you, it's all the same as if people were not looking at you, when no one's looking at you. Every yes, every no, everything is observed. It means you shouldn't be one way when people are looking and then another way when nobody's looking. But the Bible is very, very nuanced, incredibly nuanced, very sophisticated, you know, when Jesus talks about murder, you know, he says, you know, do not murder. You know, he says, if you even resent somebody, you might as well have committed murder in your heart. It's the same thing. But then there are passages in the Bible, in the Levitical laws, that condone murder, you know, in certain respects, in certain cases. Jesus says, do not lie. Do not lie. The Bible says, do not lie, Right? But then you have passages in the Bible where Rahab, the prostitute, lies to, sell, to save the Hebrew spies that are in her country. You know, Abigail is honored in many ways, for, in some ways, for being dishonest with her husband. You know, and that shows us that, you know, the Bible's very nuanced, and some promises can be so sinful, so stupid, you know, that it's more of a sin to keep them than to break them. 
But in all in all, you have these examples in the Bible to prove how incredibly important every single one of those people had to weigh out what they were doing. Incredibly nuanced and yet incredibly important. The value of being truthful. The value of being honorable to your word. You know, how powerful truth is. Because when you have integrity, people know who you are. When you have integrity, you're approachable. When you have integrity, people know what they're getting with you. You know, when you have integrity, you are disarming. When you have integrity, you're trustworthy. If you live one life separate from another life, you keep your friends compartmentalized, and you live one way with them and another way with another group of people, they don't know what, people don't know what they're going to get with you. That makes you unreliable as opposed to reliable. That makes you untrustworthy as opposed to trustworthy. That makes you, you know, inconsistent. How do you become a person of integrity? How then do you become a person of integrity? Jesus says, let your yes be a yes. Let your no be a no. Because even you can't even change the hair that's on your head from black to white. In other words, you didn't create your head. You didn't build this city on your own. You know, you're a creature. You are a part of creation. And if you don't tell the truth, inevitably you're going to come up against the fact that you are a creature and you're violating the way you've been designed. You're violating the character of your design. You know, know, one of my favorite preachers says, you know, why is it wrong to commit adultery? Why is it wrong to lie? And why is it wrong to breathe underwater? It's all the same reason. And it's this, because it doesn't work. You don't work that way. You weren't created that way. You weren't built that way. You weren't designed that way. It doesn't work that way. Your lungs weren't built to breathe underwater. You know, if you try to breathe underwater, you're going to break that design and you're going to be destroyed if you break that law. So the reason that you're supposed to not commit adultery and the reason why you're not supposed to tell a lie is the same reason. You're designed for truth. You're designed to be truthful. The destruction may not be as quick as if you're breathing underwater, but it actually will be worse because there's no escape. You know, everything is observed. Everywhere you are, by the only eyes that matter, you are being observed right now. And that's the reason why Jesus says, it's the reason why you must tell the truth with everything because everything is his. The heavens are his, the earth is his, the city is his, your head belongs to him. You must tell the truth because you have to honor your creator. You were designed in the character, in the image of your creator. You're made to praise and to glory. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Will that be a lie? Will you do that in a lie? But Christians know that God didn't just create you. Christians know that God has redeemed you. If you want your heart to be motivated to integrity, you have to look at Jesus. You have to look to Jesus. You have to watch how Jesus acted when nobody was looking. In the Garden of Gethsemane, here's Jesus. Everybody has fallen asleep. There's nobody around him. No one's looking. You know, nobody even knew what Jesus would promise. Jesus tried to tell his disciples that he was going to die. They didn't get it. And at the point where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, and he's so intensely praying that it says that, you know, he was sweating, like, like the, the sweat that was dropping off of his forehead was like blood. And, and, you know, he felt the weight of what was going to happen in his life in the coming days. 
And he sensed it. He finally sensed it. And it overwhelmed him. Completely overwhelmed him. You know, that what it was going to mean to take the punishment for all the sins of the world. That he was going to look to the Father on the cross and the Father would turn away from him. His Father would turn away from him. And when nobody was looking, what did he say? It's not my will. Meaning, if it were up to me, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this if it were up to me. I'm troubled by this. I'm overwhelmed by this. But I'll do it. I will commit to this. Not my will, but yours be done. And scripture teaches us that he gladly did it. Not his will, but God's be done. He gladly did it. He gladly did it. Jesus committed when nobody was looking. And then Matthew chapter 26, he's standing before a trial. Now he's there with everybody looking. And the high priest stands in front of him and says, I charge you under oath by the living God, are you the Christ? Now up to this, up to this point, he has been totally silent about, about who he's been. Up until this point, when he was arrested, he said not a word. And yet, before the people, charged under oath, under the living God, he says, are you the Christ? Jesus answers, yes, it is as you say. Whether Jesus, when nobody was looking, because the only eyes that see or what's important to him, or in front of everybody who's watching, you see complete consistency. He doesn't shirk his commitment. And to the degree that you see Jesus dying, Jesus sweating blood for you, Jesus in the dark for you, and yet his commitment lasting for you when nobody's looking, to, be, that's, that's to that degree, to the degree that you see that, to the extent that you trust that, you will be able to live in the dark for him when nobody's looking? When you think about what he did, when you think about the integrity of what Jesus did, you're going to look at yourself. You've got to ask yourself, are you doing the things in the dark when, no, you know, are you doing the things in the dark when nobody's looking this, in the same way as when everybody's looking? Do you have integrity? Are you integrated? Mind, body, soul, what you see, what you do, what you think, what you feel, what you say? Is it all integrated? Or are you untrue to yourself? Are you untrue to the people around you? Are you untrue to your own standards? Are you untrue to the only one whose eyes matter? What are you like when no one's looking? What are you like? Look to Jesus. You know, on one hand, Jesus, the creator, He's never, going to go, he's never going to let us get away with our lies. Everything's observed. Everything's accounted for. So to lie is to reject the hands of the creator, to reject the hands of the king. But on the other hand, he's our redeemer. And if you look at what he did for us with his integrity, then to lie is to reject the healing hands, of the, only, the only hands that can heal, the hands of the king that can heal us. Most of us, you know, you know, um, we lie out of fear. We lie out of pride. Fear, you know, you don't want anyone to see the truth of who I am. Pride, I need to stay on top of things, you know, and I'm definitely better than that guy over there, so I have to lie. You know, if you lie out of fear, if you lie out of pride, it's going to lead you to guilt. And there's no guilt that's going to be big enough that's going to help you to stop lying. There's no guilt. That's going to be large enough. You need something that's going to overwhelm the fear. You need something that's going to overwhelm the pride. Look at the cross. We make promises to get out of trouble. 
We make promises and commitments, and we lie oftentimes to avoid the trial, to avoid the persecution. Here's Jesus at Gethsemane. He promises to do the will of the Father, if not for his own love for us, but knowing it would get him to trouble, knowing it's going to bring the arrest, knowing that it's going to bring the trial, knowing that it's going to bring the persecution, knowing that on the cross, all the way to death, his ultimate oath fulfilled, till death do us part. He lived it out. His covenant promise to the end. The whole Bible is built on it. The whole Bible is founded on it. The whole Bible rests on it. It's the foundation of the Bible rests on that promise. You have to say, look at what Jesus has done for me. Look at his integrity. It is an amazing integrity. That's the beauty of Christ. Do you see it? Are you moved by that? Because he did it for you. His integrity was for you. Inside and out. Private or public. To the death. For you. Does that move you? You know, a lot of us, we look at that and we say, ah, oh, gosh, if this is what Christianity is, I'm out. I'm out. You know, I could never be that honest, and you're missing the point. You don't get the gospel. You missed the point of the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus tells a story, you know, to the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were the legalistic, religious rulers of their day. And, you know, he basically says, you, you can't wrap your own arms around the meaning of what it means to be saved by grace because the Pharisees, they couldn't. He says, you can't wrap your arms around the meaning of what it means to get the gospel, to be saved by grace, that Jesus is going to die for you, that he died for you. You know, so these Pharisees, you know, they made a living out of their moral, right, good life. Jesus tells them the story. He says, you know, a man talks to these two young men. They were his sons. And he says, I want you to go out into the field and work for me. The first man, he says, I'll do it, and he never goes. He doesn't go. The second man says, I won't. But then later on, he repents, and then he goes back, and he works. And Jesus asks the Pharisees, now which one is obedient to the Father? The Pharisees say, the second son. Obviously, it's the second son. Jesus says, you're right. That's why the prostitutes and the pimps will go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Yikes. Ouch. He says the prostitutes and the pimps, they're the ones who said, I won't. And then they come around and they repent and they go. Which one are you? That's the question he's asking, really. It's supposed to stop us in our tracks. The gospel doesn't rest on your record. The good news of Jesus Christ, access to the kingdom, doesn't rest on your record. You know, but your willingness to repent. In other words, the only honesty that you really need to save you is your willingness to be honest about your dishonesty. I'm not honest. I lie. That's the only honesty that you really need. The only dishonesty that's going to screw you, you know, is your unwillingness to be honest that you're dishonest. Do you get that? The honesty starts here. It starts here. You have to admit, I'm dishonest. I can't be honest. If I'm left to myself, I'm never going to be honest. I don't like to be truthful about how dependent I am, and I need this. I just need this deal. I need this sale. I need this person in my life, so I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie. Like a snake in the grass, I'm going to lie. That's what I'm going to do. Is that what you're going to do? 
If you think to be a Christian means I have to have a perfect moral record, be totally honest, you're never going to keep up. You missed the point. You know, Jesus, you know how honest he was? To the degree, he was stripped naked. You are never going to be more honest than that, to bear everything. To the end, he was stripped naked. Why? Before you, for us. Why? So that we would be clothed in his righteousness. That's where the power comes. In faith, that's where the power comes. To the, to the extent that, you know, you say, I can't do this. I haven't done this. And you come to him and you say, Lord, will you be my savior? Will you be my king? Because I want to and I need to submit to you. I want to trust who you are. I want to trust you, what you did for me. Make me the person of integrity so that my yes will really be a yes and my no will really be a no. I want to submit to your spirit working right now actively. That's why I feel guilty because he's working actively in me. I want to submit to that. Will you give me the strength to submit to that? That's what it means to have integrity before God. Will you have that? Will you have the courage to have that before God today? You know, this week, let's pray.